welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had a life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, my buddy, Barry Johnson from the band, Joyce Manor. Barry is someone who I met years and years ago, hung out with, have not had a chance to really sit down and talk to. And thanks to this podcast and the joys of technology, we got to do it twice in very short succession. But, you know, more of that in a second. But first, if you want to get to me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. And he will get the message to me. And thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work that you do. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by heading over to our brand new merch store. That's right. There's a now a turned out of punk.com merch store. There's three t-shirts up there. Uh, turned out a punk logo shirt. My dad did. And then two shirts that I designed myself. And you can find those over there right now. Thank you very much to Corey for helping me set this whole thing up and Gretchen and Brian and, and, it's a lot of work to do, <laughs> set something like this up. Holy jeez, I had no idea. But uh, thank you for their help, uh, and you can find your shirts there. So get a Turned Out of Punk shirt. You can also support this show by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast that we do here each and every, well, twice a week, generally. Uh, you can also support the show by subscribing to it and rating it on iTunes, and thank you to everyone that does do that or by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out of punk. And there's a huge, huge, huge thank you to everyone that does do that. Check out some of the stuff we do over there. There's footnotes, there's video episodes, there's lost episodes, all sorts of things. So you can find that over at patreon.com slash turn out of punk. And once again, huge thank you to everyone that does support that thing. And speaking of support, Thank you to the fine folks at Vans, House of Vans, for supporting this podcast for, for the last few years. And there is going to be a celebration coming down because we are now at the 10th anniversary of the House of Vans. My gosh, does time fly? And uh, oh, there's going to be a celebration. I'm going to be involved because Turnout of Punk has been uh, a part of this thing for a long time. And I got to play there with Fucked Up. So, you know, big, big congratulations to House of Vans and Vans for... For, you know, supporting this thing and supporting uh, my bands and uh, lots of other bands, too. So, thank you to them. Uh, speaking of my band, I play in this band called Fucked Up. We are going to be putting out a bunch of records, going on tour. You can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. Uh, you can also find out uh, more information at Get Better Records, Tank Crime Records, and Matador Records. Because they're going to be putting out the records. But more info on that there. Hall right on to today's show. Today on the show, my buddy, Barry Johnson. Now, I first met Barry, uh, I think, the, I'm pretty sure this was the first time we met him. We played a festival out in L.A., and uh, it was one of those things where there's like tons of bands playing, so you get your dressing room for a small period of time. They took our dressing room away. I'm milling around, and the people at Joyce Manor were like, hey, just come hang out over here in our dressing room, and we hung out. For the rest of the day, and, and it was awesome, and sort of, you know, remained in contact and friends, and so Barry is someone who I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, but you know how it goes. You don't see someone for a while, and then, you know, do I send him a DM and ask him to come on this podcast? It seems so weird, you know? And anyway, well, now it has finally happened, twice, as I said, because the first time we recorded it, 
it got lost. I don't know where it is. I don't know how it got lost, but it got lost. But Barry very graciously agreed to come back and record again. And now you get to hear it. And it's a, a great conversation. We get to connect a lot of worlds, which is what I love to do here on this podcast. And, and uh, well, that's it. I'm not going to ramble on it anymore. Uh, Joyce Manor, of course, is a fantastic band. And they have a newish compilation-ish album of Rarities compilation called Songs from the Northern Torrents, which you can pick up on Epitaph Records. And also, it looks like their self-titled album is getting a remastered repress on Asian Man Records. So pick that up as well. That is the self-titled album. And check out Joyce Manor when they when they play some shows. They're playing some shows coming up. They're a fantastic live band and... Yeah, I, I, I love I love this, these conversations, both of them. The first one was great, too, but this was a great one as well. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Barry Johnson on Turned Out a Punk. Barry, thank you for coming back on the show. Hey, Damien, thanks so much for having me again. Well, you know, computer problems be damned. Uh, no one, unfortunately, will be able to check out that episode because it has now been lost to some sort of internet ether out there. But we are we are back. You've graciously come back to the show, Barry, and we are going to do kind of a part two for you and me, but yeah. but a part one for everyone else in this world. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna just say all different shit too, just to make up a whole new <laughs> whole new backstory. Well, I, I I luckily remembered a couple key points that <laughs> okay, I definitely cool. want to bring up again because there's a cool, cool. a couple reveals in that episode that uh, that really shocked me. But anyway, let's we'll get yeah, there. We'll get if there. we don't, I will prompt you with those. Uh, <laughs> cool. But Barry, we got to start this off the way they start off. As you know, how did you get into punk? I got into punk through okay so i grew up in southern california and we had k-rock and around like 1995 i would say they started kind of playing um well the i guess the first punk stuff i heard was the offspring and then from there like the kind of stuff they were playing on k-rock which would have been like goldfinger and the suicide machines were the first things i can remember hearing that i kind of i felt like was different you know it was different than other stuff that was on like a alternative radio at the time and it just sounded more punk like it was like snottier and just sounded like punk and so i went to the local cd store by my house and um i got those but i didn't really think of them as punk i just thought of them as like new cool records and then um i was at that same cd store and i was uh just looking at cds and i found a copy of punkorama 2 and it was uh 4.99 and i showed my dad's friend who i was there with and I, and I was like, hey, check it out. This CD's only five bucks. And he was like, no, nah, it's a that's a mistake. Like CD can't be five bucks. Like he was like, like, yeah, like they wouldn't even break even on that. CD can't be five bucks. So I asked the people at the front, I was like, is this CD five bucks? And they were like, they scanned it, they're like, yep, five bucks. And so I told him, I was like, told you it's five bucks. <laughs> and then he's like, damn, all right, do you want it? And he bought it for me. And it was Punkorama too. And that was like huge for me. And that's I, a good was, one too. Oh God, it's so good. I listen to it all the time. Like, uh, so at the time I was really, really into like the descendants and like Pennywise and kind of the more fast stuff. And then when I would revisit the record over the years, I'd find like stuff I missed. Like I really would like get into like the humpers or like Millen Colin or like the joy killer, which is like the TSOL dude. 
like yeah. afterwards yeah um, that was uh jack grisham's i think they 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 even were touring a lot at that point i think they came here with pennywise yeah okay so but it's it's a little bit of a different sound it wasn't as like uh yeah pennywise that epifat sound like it, yeah. It's, yeah 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 there's there's quite a bit of like like stuff on i think zeke might have had a song on it and like dfl's on went, that one too new bomb Turks. oh dude oh new bomb turks that song fucking rules and that um dfl song so sick yeah um, dfl I, it's funny like I, talking to monty was on the show not too long ago and uh they they were like one of the few bands at that time that was like doing traditional sounding old like fast hardcore yeah that song on that has like rapping in it right doesn't it kinda? i think so because is, is that the remix song on it i'm trying to remember what it's the thought control uh, i gotta double yeah. check what song thought, that is yeah when there's like everywhere it's like rapping oh, yeah. i'm like damn this is so sick <laughs> yeah. um and then yeah that great poison idea song like with, yeah I, the poison idea song i liked it as a kid but going back let's do it now i just like the fucking drumming on it alone is like fucking unreal so that that's a great comp so that was that was big that was the, really when i was all in apparently jerry a said that that was like kind of like done without the band's permission like it was one dude kind of like running over to epitaph and being like yo got these masters do you want to put up this reissue this record and that's that's how it came about (laughs) whoa yeah um so yeah from there i just got like comps and um it was kind of it would have been like the end of elementary school and then like by middle school I was getting like really into skateboarding and um, a lot of punk in that too, like in the toy machine videos and, and the zero videos. Um, so it was always kind of just like spattering of songs. Like I, I did have some albums, like um, I got like the nitro records comps and then got, uh, as I was kind of getting into punk, I, my friend Ben had an older brother named Chris, who was like, he might've already been in high school and um he was into punk and he was really nice and kind of i you like let me ask him questions i was like hey do you, do you know goldfinger and he's like yeah they suck and <laughs> and and i was like oh okay and then um he just kind of was telling me about um different bands and he made me a tape that had a uh, answer that and stay fashionable on one side and then very proud of you on the other and um i, I don't think i don't think shut your mouth and your open your eyes had come out yet it was like maybe just about to come out and mm-hmm. um I just got obsessed with AFI and just kind of bought everything they did from there, like the um, Fire Inside EP and then Black Sails and then all like, like just, you know, I was kind of by the day it came out and uh, got to watch them kind of totally turn into a, a different, not a totally different kind of band, but really um, grew with them. And, uh, but yeah, I guess the comps, comps were really big. Like I had the fat comps um, and, um the cinema beer nuts and cinema beer uh belly video yeah. and that was really eye-opening as far as like how to um and skate videos kind of like how to act punk or how to like be like behave kind of like the way punk people do i was like mm-hmm. i kind of was just soaking all that up from those those video comps it's like so different to think about a world where information had like a monetary value and just how you had to pick it up from like like you're saying like you had to observe the culture from wherever you could because you couldn't necessarily just like go online and like google it and see like a bunch of cool videos on youtube maybe someone's made yeah. a documentary about it already like you're kind of putting all these pieces together from like anywhere you can find yeah yeah material. 
and it was tough. Like, it, I don't like, I don't know if it's like that for everybody. It's not like I grew up in, you know, fucking Mississippi or something where there's, it was, I was in Southern California. So, um, but still there were, there was just not that much. And so watching, yeah, like cinema beer belly and, and cinema beer nuts, like just watching a high standard video and like noted, like looking at how high standard were all goofy and, but they were cool. And I liked how they dressed and stuff. But that's another one where if I go back now and and look at that comp, it's like the bands on it are insane. It's everything from like Mustard Plug to like Man or Astro Man and then like Strife and then like Super Chunk. And then like, and then like, I forget what else, like, uh, I don't know. Like AFI, like, AFI has, Patrol. you know, Google Patrol last? too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh my God. He who last last video, like the, the like crowd footage. Um, I, th- I think it might be a Gilman or maybe it's at Berkeley Square or something, but that shit was like, oh my God. It was oh, just like amazing. tantalizing. I was like, I would kill to be in that crowd, you know? Actually, where it must be Berkeley Square because it's kind of narrow, the venue. It doesn't seem like that. It doesn't have that Gilman co- like corner room kind of vibe. I think I know it is from listening to the Davey Havoc episode of your show. So that <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think that's why okay. I know that. But, but it's like, it's kind of like a vague piece of information that i could be wrong about i remember going to and i think we talked about it on his episode too but like when i went out to california to berkeley um and i was at the lookout store talking to the people that work there and they're like yeah we remember when davy came back from the east coast and brought moshing here whoa and and they were sorry they were saying like it was the first time anyone had like gone out there and he's like he was even telling him beforehand like yeah guys when i tonight i'm going to dance and it's going to look really weird and he started like you know throwing the fists and doing like all the stuff you do in the '90s with like hard wow. pitting, and uh, they were like, "Yeah, it was fucking weird." But like, he is the guy that kind of I guess brought it to at least a certain segment of the scene because there were like definitely hardcore bands doing it like that back then. But totally, I guess it was like he was the guy bringing it to the lookout scene at least. Yeah, and then he also fucking brought you know like eyeliner and fishnet shirts and shit like. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody was wearing that shit um, and playing hardcore like at that time. They, yeah. they were like, they're one of the most interesting bands to kind of watch during that because like the whole thing about punk is like trying to be the same band as long as you fucking can, like holding yeah. on to that. But yeah. like you're saying, like they're like actively, you're like you're watching this metamorphosis happen, and like those those records were coming in like a year apart. So like I, they were, yeah. And everybody I knew, like all like the kind of skaters at my school and stuff who liked AFI, like yeah, AFI sick, they all were just like, like they hated it. And they thought oh, they were so like um, betrayed by it. And I was just all in. I, I loved every progression. Like I loved Black Sails. I got more and more just um, obsessed as, as their as their kind of like world got more. Um, I don't know. Like, they started to kind of have a little more of a little universe that they lived in. Yeah yeah it's like and it's it's so unfortunate that it it, that whole thing and like i guess to their benefit of the time but got kind of assumed by this like hot topic oh totally yeah emo quote-unquote thing because like what they were doing was so different but yeah it's now i think forever linked to that in some people's minds you know yeah i mean they got so big as a band on nitro records like they especially in la like i don't know how it was all across the u.s but they were huge before they even signed to a major and stuff. And yeah, even if you go back and listen to like sing the sorrow, which had all their MTV stuff on it, like that's a, that doesn't really sound like that other hot topic shit at all. No, like it, uh, 
it's uh, that's that record's almost like I don't know, it has like classic rock elements. It's it's really cool record. Well, they never sounded like that stuff. Like that stuff was no, trying yeah. to sound like them at different points. Totally, but, totally, yeah. But yeah, like the, what they were doing, it was coming from like a a very different you know place. And yeah, yeah, they were always they weren't always huge like in Toronto, but every mm-hmm. single time I saw them, they like caught you know they caught the room. You know they were the yeah. band that won the night. Oh uh, yeah, I watched like videos of AFI in in ninety nine like so or like around that time just so much on youtube and i just get so stoked like i don't ever really want feel like i really want to play a show right now but if i watch like an afi live set i'm like i just want to put on my guitar i just want to put on my guitar and like spin around and just like it really that's that's one of the few things that really makes me want to play a show (laughs) yeah no i i definitely saw them oh man like like you're saying like every that as those records were coming out like at every stage watching them kind of evolve yeah it's funny because i saw them in southern i guess it was santa cruz and dbs the band from vancouver who are like my childhood favorite band i still one of the best bands ever from vancouver uh but they got the opening slot they kind of got thrown on the bill because afi used to go on tour with them like super early on when they were still like old afi and i was talking to them beforehand and they were like, yeah, we couldn't believe the sound check. Like, what happened to the band? Like, yeah, were, yeah. But they were so, they were like on another level, like even at that point. Everybody, everybody I knew who liked them would just, would, would be like, even if you were on board for the record before where they had changed, where everyone was bummed. Like, I remember being bummed, people being bummed on Show Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes. And then I remember people being bummed on Black Sails. And then I remember people who liked Black Sails being bummed on Art of Drowning. Cause it had like that one song that sounds like, like Pat Benatar or whatever. Like, I just loved it all. I just like, I, I was, I guess, I guess because of, um, Jade wearing Smith shirts, I, I kind of went through my mom's CDs and got into the, the Smiths and Morrissey and, um, the cure and stuff. And, uh, I don't know. So I was just, I, I, I knew that that's the kind of stuff that they liked. So I was just stoked to see them do something kind of poppy like that mm-hmm. and, and do it really well. Yeah, like they never felt success adverse. Totally, uh, they like yeah. they they were always just kind of like going for it. And it they it were was... yeah, they, exactly yeah. They were always really popular around. Mm-hmm. Like um, I, I I got an AFI shirt at the mall when I was a kid, and I, I remember wearing it around, and I got like it was like kind of the first time people started to notice me. Like I don't know, just other like maybe a little older punk people would be like, hey, AFI like cool you know and i was like yeah all right cool it was like a lot of places i went like you know if i was around people were just like everyone seemed to know afi um it's also funny how like geographically bands are taken up differently you know and and afi maybe in in all of california but certainly in the bay area it's it's like a different thing you know it's like corn in in bakersfield Bakersfield, you know like where these bands are you know like they're not like they're like real and like they they have like a very important place in the hardcore scene in a way yeah, they might yeah. not be taken up in other places like corn like talk to someone from bakersfield about corn <laughs> they will fucking fight you if you talk shit yeah totally totally um what was what was the band before corn um lapd lapd yeah yeah can't talk They're, shit on them either can't talk shit on lapd they were on triple <laughs> x records with uh yeah. angry simones and uh I'm trying to think of who else was on that label back then, but they're like tons of tons of classic LA bands. Like that's the thing is like it, it it's very interconnected in that LA music scene. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so where did you kind of go 
from getting this AFI tape? I guess you're getting into the Smiths and the Cure from your mom's yeah, stuff too. Yeah, that was in middle school just because I just saw Jade wearing Smith shirts and I, I was like, I think my mom has that CD. And, you know, I always liked a lot of stuff. Like my, um, so my stepdad got music from the, uh, that catalog where you get like 10 Columbia CDs House. for a pen, Columbia house. Yeah. Yes. And he got a bunch of, I remember he got like Soundgarden and, um, a couple other records that I didn't like Pearl Jam and and he got um Ween Ween's chocolate and cheese. Yeah. And that that like blew my mind. And the actual C D, like the not the artwork. The, I mean the artwork's amazing with the wrestling belt and shit. Um but if you actually open up the actual art on the C D is just a middle finger. And and I was just like as a kid, I was like, that's so fucking cool. And it was like punk to me, you know, like yeah. it was yeah. I was like it's um antagonistic um so i was like damn this band what is what is this fucking band and then that record is just insane like it's uh so much different kind of shit going on in there i'm 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 really fascinated by that band because Mm -hmm. they like they're they're definitely tangentially connected to punk like capture tracks put it like a seven inch by this new jersey kind of like new wave outsider guy and one of the ween one of the brothers is on that record is one of his first recordings oh no way yeah and like my friend uh who wrote for like the dead milkman dan like roadies for them and stuff like that so i know they're like connected to punk but then they're also beloved in the jam band world too that's because like- of fish fish uh cover one of their songs but yeah they're not i mean they they do jam but like it's it's a different <laughs> kind of jamming yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's brown <laughs> yeah as a little kid i was been like eight years old i was like really into ween and then you know um i just liked like poppy stuff from a young age so like i got like goldfinger and suicide machines and that type of shit and um i remember uh my friend came to school and he's like dude i heard this band and they they sound like pennywise but with a british singer and i was like oh that sounds cool and he's like yeah they're called smash mouth and 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 he, and he had he had uh fushu wang or whatever the fuck it's called and, and he that was on walking and, on the sun yeah yeah totally and i like loved it but he was kind of before i had any radio hits i don't know i don't know how he got hold of this before like it had really broke well there's but, southern california but, right um bay area i think like san oh, jose or san jose i think yeah because is because isn't that where um what's his name is from uh guy fieri is that is Guy Fieri like actually connected to him? I thought it was just because they looked kind of similar. Dude, uh, Guy Fieri didn't used to look like that, but he would like hang out with uh, the Smash Mouth dudes, and uh, he just he thought like the singer Steve was just sick. Like he just liked Steve and like liked his whole thing, and so he swagger started to get he swagger jacked, dude. <laughs> That's so <laughs> Guy, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So little little known fact um but anyway so i was like really into the smash mouth cd and just stuff like that and then yeah like like i liked all the comps and i i had some like like mostly just had afi cds i had like all the offspring cds but i mostly just had comps so i just kind of knew like there's another like side story but like i i knew agnostic front only from punkorama 3 um gotta go you know that song yeah yeah. so that's what i thought agnostic front sounded like and then years later, I was, at, I was at a bar and I was talking to this guy, Dennis, who's this awesome guy here in Long Beach who just knows a shitload about music. And I, I was maybe like 21 at this time. And, and he's like, oh, what have you been listening to? And I was like, oh, man, like, you know, I've been listening to um, that new Das Oath. 
and and he's like he's like oh i think i know them he's like he's like they kind of sound like agnostic front and i was like no you know because because in my head i only know that one agnostic front song yeah and then later like like a couple years later i got into or someone turned me on a victim in pain and i was like oh yeah this does kind of sound like i get it now yeah Yeah. but anyway so but i I had these kind of like comps that were kind of all over the place especially like those hopeless records comps like they had like the weaker thans super chunk but also like mustard plug and like uh the super tones and shit you know what i mean like it was mm-hmm. so i just i kind of liked a lot of different stuff and then um we had to get the comps right because everything else was so expensive right and then, like dude i would literally buy comps with change i would just be like yeah. like pulling up the couch cushions like grabbing quarters and like i'd still have enough to get like some candy you know like i would just buy stuff with quarters i would break it down like and i would do a uh you know quick math in my head and be like how much is it per song yeah that's how i would buy cds totally it, yeah and that's i mean you'd see those rancid cds and they had like nine million songs so you were like ty <laughs> yeah, i'll get this one definitely buy this one but dude i didn't yeah i, I didn't have the money to risk buying mm-hmm. some fucking bad religion record with like three good songs on it and like i had all ages and i fucking loved it like like it was great but like i couldn't risk just buying a band's new cd because i'd been burned so many times like or a couple times you know a couple times and and it just it hurt so bad but i got everything afi did but yeah it's interesting to think about like like how reviews at that point were a public service you know like when you oh, read yeah. a review of a band's record like they were like you, you were like oh shit okay they they're like this now or it's like this now or it's they haven't yeah. changed like totally that, whereas now it's just opinion pieces on, on yeah. albums because we can all Think hear pieces it. or some shit yeah. exactly yeah, yeah 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 we can all just like check in like it doesn't really serve a utilitarian function like it did that's that really, yeah that's a good point damn yeah so so anyway my my point is i had a, i had a lot of comps but because of that i think i kind of just dabbled in a, in a lot of different things like i guess the epitaph once kind of had a sound but even those later ones have have weird shit on them and then by later i mean like three and four but um the fat fat one kind of had a sound but like yeah those hopeless ones were all over the place um like i was really into scared of chaka like i really like but i only knew like a couple songs but i got fucked with scared of chaka like heavily and like Dillinger four and stuff but i also like really fucked with mustard plug you know because i was yeah. just like 13 i was just yeah. kind of into whatever and anyway where, where i was going with that was um i liked all this stuff and then the end of middle school like is like the very end of eighth grade i went up to this kid at my school who were all black and i was like what's up dude like i know you're into some fucking goth ass shit because you're wearing all black like i got in like because you know like what are you into man like sisters of mercy or some shit that i don't know about yeah and then he's like nah dude i'm wearing all black because i like star wars and i'm dressed <laughs> like luke skywalker and i was like oh whoa whoa and then he's like i like ska and I knew Scott because I, I knew like from like the radio and then I also like um like knew it from like I liked it. I was like, oh whoa, I never met knew there was people who just liked only ska. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Yeah, I, I don't I don't like punk or anything or like goth music or whatever. I like ska. And he was into like he was like into ska. So he he liked like let's go bowling and like kind of more like music because he was in the band, he played trombone. So he was into bands with like chops you know yeah, like yeah he was listening for chops he wasn't like listening to fucking 
if you're a band dude go nine and shit yeah well because if you're a band dude and you're playing horns you're gonna like you're gonna fall into ska because that's like yeah. where you can see yourself he was good too though like he was good at, he was like so he, he got into like crazy music he, he was into or not crazy it's not crazy but especially not now but he was into like k-pop and shit and like korean rap like and this is like 2000 like 99 2000 2001 mm. so this is fucking like way before what's going on now like mm-hmm. and um he was just a, a kind of trippy guy who he liked a lot of shit but um well that's also at that, that time, time where you, that was also at a time where you had to source that stuff like we're talking about like you couldn't just like be into it because you read an article and got totally. into it like you'd have to find a place to get all that stuff he was like professional level like ddr like he would travel to las vegas to be in like ddr competitions and i think that's how he got into like um j-pop and then and then more so into like korean rap and korean pop and and shit so what's he was a ddr guy. what's ddr dance, dance revolution sorry dance it's like you know with the we step on the things yeah, yeah he was like he was like like competition level <laughs> like go to las vegas to like compete he was he was a trippy guy he's a trippy dude have you kept in touch with this dude this guy sounds a little bit yeah 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 every now and then like when something cool happened in publicly for joyce manor i got whatever it's like a pitchfork review or something like that he'll he'll send it to me on instagram and be like so proud of you dude like so cool to see how far you come or whatever so we kind of keep in touch a little bit but not not like a not super close but did yeah. he play in any bands? Because like a guy who can dance like that and play the trombone, like that and that's rap. like a front person and rap. Oh yeah, he was so talented. He's so musical. His dad actually was in a um, band called Moral. His name is David Moral, and um, his dad was in a band called Moral, which was like a hair metal band, '80s hair metal band. So I remember I brought my bass over to his house, and his dad was like, "Oh, can I see that?" And then just was like shredding like slap bass, <laughs> like like all like, and I was like, "Whoa." um so it was in the family like it was was a anyway yeah that guy got me into ska and that was like around the age i was like 13 or 14 where um i started finding out about shows and those were like i'd seen afi a couple times and i went to warp tour in 97 but those just felt like concerts and they were kind of it was fun but it was like kind of scary i felt like a little kid at a thing i shouldn't be at but 97 warp tour yeah you would have been so young yeah, I was born in '86, so I was 11. Wow, my stepdad took been. me. Yeah, it was it was cool, but it was also like holy shit! Like when you told is... me that before, I didn't do the math on how old you would have been wandering around. I, was 11, I thought you were like yeah. 13 or something. Whoa, that's no, nah, I was like too, I wasn't like too little. Like it was fine, but I was a little ass kid. Like, I got a, I got a 12 year old upstairs, and and like I don't I wouldn't want him wandering around the warp tour now. Like Dude, I, it's different now, my, right? But they had long ass lines. Uh, for beer like it was poorly organized and there was a long ass line for beer and so my stepdad said he pretty much waited in line for a beer at the whole festival yeah. um and i just like walked around on my own and i remember watching a couple bands like i remember watching pennywise i remember watching sick of it all and i remember watching the bostones i remember watching the vandals and warren like was naked and shit and that i was that i was i thought they were great but um yeah that's kind of all i remember like i remember seeing i know i saw other bands but they didn't register who they were or even what it sounded like i just remember it being like really loud and kind of overwhelming and hot and everyone's like way older and bigger than me and and it was just like a, a yeah kind of kind of gnarly but when david morrill got me into ska that was like the age of when i was starting to go to shows so then i got into like ska and like the asian man comps and 
and then those are the first shows I started going to was like Orange County ska shows. And that was the beginning of feeling like I was like a part of a music scene and like kind of around the same age as some of the people there and making friends and, and shit like that. So who were some of the bands that would have been going at that time? First show I went to was a chain reaction. Like I, I like I saw AFI, Sick of It All, Hot Water Music at the Ventura Theater. And that that was sick, but again, I still felt like a little kid. And then the next year, or maybe two years later, I saw um uh Big D in the Kids Table, The Lawrence Arms, ME three thirty, and Slow Gherkin. I don't know if you're familiar with maybe you're familiar with the Lawrence Arms. No, I know I know ME three thirty because they've been around yeah. for they were like a, an older band and and uh totally. You know, like they, had, they were like, fucking awesome. Yeah, and Lawrence Arms yeah. definitely I know as well. Yeah. Stuff. That would have been an Asian Man Records tour, I guess, or um it was yeah they're all the bands were on asian man i don't think it was listed as that i think it was just all the bands happened to be on asian man okay it's funny i uh the guy that plays drums with us now is neil from the he is also on the lawrence arms okay yeah yeah um and he was a uh, and baxter and baxter why are you bearing the lead on 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 like the the baxter <laughs> yeah and baxter um <laughs> and uh uh so yeah he played that show um but anyway sorry yeah so that that show was awesome and that that was kind of where i like took note of like how people were dressed and like people were in chuck taylor's and i was like all right i gotta get some chuck taylor's and then i kind of that's when i really feel like i was into punk and underground and started going thrift stores for my clothes and stuff and really kind of felt like it became more of my identity rather than just like a continuation of um just liking music off the radio you know because yeah but that's sick of it all show it's it's funny because like that's where i find a lot of people's progression normally goes like you go through like pop punk you get into the ska and then you eventually wind up going to see like a sick of it all type show and that's the bridge to like sort of the next stuff but it's interesting like you went to those shows but i guess those shows would have been crazy violent too yeah i don't i remember the way the ventura theater is there's like a there's like a t- this, it's not super tiered but there's like a lower tier where the pit was and then there was an upper tier and i was like against the railing of the upper tier so there was no one like pitting around me i would have been like 12 or 13 at that time i was real little um and um yeah i, I don't remember being like scared of like the violence or anything but um but yeah but there probably was um some hardcore dancing and shit but uh, i don't think it was like psychotically violent or anything um i definitely wasn't like one of those people actually you know what uh it was after that scott was it fuck i'm kind of maybe getting my timeline mixed up but i saw then maybe the next year after that sick of it all show i saw afi um in 2000 at the palladium with um rancid and the distillers Mm. and that was my first pit that was the first time i like got in the pit and that was fucking awesome uh at the front of the show, there was like a. They were taking everyone's like uh, studs, anything with like studs. So I had like these baggy ass green jeans on, like big <laughs> ass green jeans, and it was like they were huge. So they they were being like held up by my stud belt, um, and they took away my belt. So like my pants were kind of falling off my ass. I was like holding them up, and so like during ranted, like I didn't pit for AFI. I was like too scared, but during ranted, I was like, I'm gonna fucking pit. I'm gonna do it. And uh, I went in and like immediately, like I get kind of like shoved in my pants fall down around my ankles and I just eat shit and I just trip and fell. 
And then it's like super sweaty shirtless, like Mexican dude picks me up and he like yells in my ears. Like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And I have like my pants around my ankles and he's like kind of running with me, like wedding style. <laughs> and then he like sets me upright and I, I pulled my pants up and I was just like, yes. Like I felt, I felt awesome. Like I just kept going. I just kept running all covered in this dude's sweat. Um, so that, that was like when I was first like comfortable. Again. And then that, I think that the um, ska show I was just talking about was actually after that. And that show, I, I was in the pit the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like literally every second of every band I was pitting. I think the pit died down in Lawrence Arms, but like for like a second, because um, it was mostly a ska crowd. But yeah, yeah. I, I was just literally like there to pit. And it was fucking amazing. Like uh, incredible. That must have been hard tours for those guys to be on at times too, where like you're yeah, like the punk band on the ska tour. Well, especially like Brandon had been in Slapstick. Yeah, of course. Which are ska. So he's like a like a hero of ska. A legend. And, right, but he's kind of over it, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it wasn't maybe the best fit for them. Yeah. No, I, and I guess like and now that label is like, you know, obviously has a much more kind of like diverse kind of name for itself. But at the time, it was very much like where you would go for ska punk. Yeah, it's weird. I, actually, I was just, I was talking, I talked to Mike Park about this before, but he's, it's like the first like eight Asian man releases are ska. And then there's like, there's ska spattered throughout, but there's not that much ska. Like yeah. if you actually look at it, it's like a lot of um, kind of Midwestern pop punk emo stuff. And uh, it's a lot of indie rock. And um, there definitely is ska. Don't get me wrong. But like the first eight were, were ska. And then, and then it was a pretty mixed bag. It's kind of like when you think of Victory Records, you know, you always think hardcore. You don't think of Hi-Fi and the Roadburners. You don't think about the rockabilly bands that they had. Oh, dude, me and Neil, Neil from Lost, I was talking about that. He, he mentioned a funny ass, like a Swedish band, but they Swedish. Um, donuts. Uh, donuts. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it's um, I can't, and I'm blanking on her name now, but she's in the Vicious, and she was in International Noise Conspiracy. Yes. She yeah. was in the Donuts too. Yeah, well. we were talking. We were just, we were just talking Victory Records and. I was talking about like um those comps, the victory style comps. Yeah. Like the cover of it. I was just like, <laughs> fuck, this looks so hard. Um yeah. Do you remember the band straight faced? Fuck yeah, I do. I, I go to the guy's bar all the time. It's down the street from my house. Kevin, the guitar player. What? That's amazing. Wait, yeah, right? They yeah. Were, they went to Epitaph afterwards, right? I think they were on Epitaph for a couple of records. Yeah, definitely were a hundred percent. Yeah. Well they they yeah. I, I remember meeting there the first time they played here, they played with I think it was Blood for Blood before, okay. and this is before any of those bands were signed. Like this, is, they were all touring on like seven inches, basically. And uh, talking to the dude from uh, their roadie, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get the cover of a uh, Victory Style tattooed <laughs> on my back when I get home," you know. And ever Damn. since then, I've been like, "That's the tattoo I want to get one day." Like, yeah, right. You just got that, it. That, yeah, just that's on fucking, my lower back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask Kevin next time I see him if uh, he knows who that is, and I'll. I'll get a pic. I'll get a picture. I'll send a picture to him of you, and then yeah. I'll, I'll get that. I want to get that rocket tattoo <laughs> on my back. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, if he, he doesn't have it, that yeah. tattoo, I'm I'm shotgunning it now because I want to yeah, get there that you thing. Uh, Would you say Swagger Jack? You're gonna yeah, Swagger Jack that tattoo <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. Uh, so where would you kind of go from getting the scoff? Were you already playing music? No, no, I didn't start playing guitar until I was like 17. Um, okay. So just I was just pitting. I was just at shows and just pitting. Um, so yeah, like I said, like you know, before that I was, I was pretty infatuated with ska and, and into the ska scene, but mostly just because like I knew about shows and stuff, and I was started going to other stuff like, 
um it's going to some indie rock shows and stuff and my girlfriend at the time liked like like the murder city devils and shit and so i remember going to see like botch and murder city devils and i thought it kind of sucked like i didn't really have fun it was kind of like an older kind of stuck up crowd like no one was really moving around and it was just kind of a cooler cooler scene you know people drinking and shit and um i was just like a hyperactive kid that wanted to like be like a, going to a show for me was like more than just like standing and watching a band you know yeah yeah which i later learned to do appreciate but i mean still even like i'd rather you know go to a crazy show like for sure but um i got into like some yeah like i guess indie rock shit and like elliot smith i guess and like nick drake and i just kind of more sad like indie rock type like modest mouse you know just kind of bummer type shit i don't know i guess i was like probably got like broken up with or something and i was just like trying to find some sad music and then um i kind of started to gravitate more towards indie rock and i was like a really really big weezer fan i'm still a really big weezer fan and um then my senior year of high school i uh went to my grades were really bad so i went to this uh continuation school which is like it's where kids who are failing or like have other problems like they're like fighting or got kicked out of regular school basically mm-hmm. and um i showed up there like dressed all fucking dorky indie rock guy or like sweater vests and shit and like realized immediately like i was gonna like they were gonna eat me alive you know what <laughs> i mean it's like showing up to prison you know in like a fucking cute little outfit i was like fuck like <laughs> i gotta like change up my steez here and um and so i just kind of went with what was familiar like there was a, like this like a few punk people that were there and I just kind of blended in with them. It's like how you have to join a gang, you know, you got to like, I was like, I don't know, I'm not really that into punk anymore, but I guess I'm just going to hang with these people. And then um, I uh, just started kicking in with them. And then I got, I got back into punk just from being around, you know, who I was around and stuff. And, and I got like into like, I guess like crass and like, boy, I got into like a uh, Cox bar and like um, shit like that. Uh, I'm not going to name a bunch of bands, but like, you know, that, that type of shit, just cause, it had musicality to it like it was, it was catchy like mm-hmm. i i tried to get into like like discharge and some of the other shit like that but i just always liked more hooky stuff i like the addicts like i got into the addicts for the first time and i guess just more like um punk, like punk shit like spiky punk shit that was um melodic um were, yeah. were these guys like in going to shows or in bands these kids yeah they were like they were like drinking 40s they were like um str- kind of street punk type kids but so it was like, like the, the the virus and like yeah, um yeah like 45 and so yeah m- more like political like oi polloi and okay. shit like they were like vegan and like um yeah it, it was like these two kids uh, that i'm mainly thinking of and uh i actually ended up starting a, a band with the guitar player um his name is rick and um we just sound like operation ivy because i actually didn't really get into operation ivy till i was 17. I, when i was into ska I didn't really like Operation Ivy. Like I thought, um, I didn't like how it was recorded. I think I remember, like I remember listening to Operation Ivy in middle school and thinking it sounded kind of scary. Like it almost sounded kind of like a this is a weird analogy, but like a snuff film or something. Like, like the harshness of the vocals of the recording sounded like uh, I shouldn't be listening to it. I get that like, vibe. It was, yeah, it was too intimate or personal or weird. Like, like yeah, this like- is not a this is not a finished recording. This is like someone's property or something i get what you're saying well no i get what you're saying because like i don't i don't not so much with operation ivy but there's definitely other bands that like 
the first time I heard it, I'm like, like Poison Idea is a good example, actually. Like Poison Idea, like I remember going over to this older punk dude's house and to buy records and he's like playing me Poison Idea. And I'm like looking at the picture of them that he had like a poster of them on his wall. And I'm like, yeah, this is too like, I don't know. This makes me feel uncomfortable. Like something like about... maybe it's evil. Like it might be. Yeah. Evil. Like this is like, this is a, like, I like something's like, like danger. these people might be, these people might be murderers. Yeah. Might I felt. Be, yeah. Bad. Like I might be listening to a murderer. Like, I don't know. I don't really like this. And, um, I later like began to um, really kind of crave that. Yeah. Like uh, once I developed a, a taste for it, and um, uh, that would have been like senior. So I got really into Operation Ivy because I'd been missing out. So those fucking that's a great record and really great songwriting. And that was around the time my friend Brian taught me how to play guitar, and I learned like I just learned every Op Ivy song. They're they're not super hard, but I just learned them by ear, and then um, just wrote basically Op Ivy songs. And me, me and some of those punk kids just started, they were like, they were down with like, like leftover crack and chugging, chugging victim and op Ivy. Mm-hmm. So they were like, yeah, we'll start a band like that. And then, yeah, that was my first band. And that was kind of how I learned how to write songs. I kept coming back to ska. Isn't that so weird? Like I would get out of it and then I would get back into it and I would get out of it. And I, it's fucking weird. Every time you get out, it sucks you back I know, in. They, they pull me back <laughs> the in. The syncopation. Yeah. It's like a <laughs> siren's just, call. <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, I listen to ska all the time now. Like, like I, I fucking love it yeah i i it's funny because like it was something that growing up was around a lot because my dad was really into uh two-tone stuff so oh hell yeah I, i'd hear that a lot and then because he'd also be into like prince buster and so i'd hear yeah, that the old jamaican stuff yeah yeah and then like certainly i think i think it's like you know just playing it for my kids too it's like it's so like ska music is so accessible like it's such a it's like it's catchy and i had to like actively resist it but now i go back and i listen to prince buster and i listen to like two-tone stuff and like stuff that i was like so but like there were years where i was like oh no never i'll never listen to it again oh but now i'm really wow i'm over it i'm I'm, I'm, gonna be into it again what about the boston's are you down Uh, yeah yeah like i Um, i liked them i I saw them in mustard plug and gangrene at a radio show a surprise radio show the bass player was in gangrene right? yeah 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 Yeah. and it was uh i think it was on mustard plug's first record they they played and it was it was great and i i was i was super i liked i liked the boss tones but i missed out on the tang years and okay. by the time I was kind of getting into it, it was kind of like the Clueless Mercury Soundtrack, Records yeah. era. And it was like, I, I think if I had gotten into it a little bit earlier, I would have been all yeah. in. I fucking love it, dude. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a ska band, but there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of like interesting. Oh, definitely. It's like, it's, yeah. I hear like other, a lot of other shit. Have you ever there. heard, I think it's called Cheapskates. It's like uh, oh. the pre Boston ska band that those guys did between Impact Unit and and the money money boss tones no no i know impact unit my oh, friend the pit i know that shit. <laughs> yeah the, the, so this is like the bridge band and the only reason okay. i have it is because patrick from matador taped curtis's from tang's radio show way back when it aired and it kept this tape and then when we signed to matador he gave me a cdr and made the tape I oh that's like, awesome Oh, that's amazing and it had this song on it and that's the only place i've ever really heard them oh no i think i've got a compilation now with them on it too, okay yeah yeah 
Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting track actually. And this friend of mine, Robbie Brookside, who's legendary British pro wrestler, uh, channel four TV made a documentary on him in, I think it's like 1992. And in the documentary, he goes to the Mighty Mighty Boston show <laughs> and the footage is so sick. That's of awesome. them playing in England at that time, just kids stage diving and like, yeah, oh, it's, rules, it's yeah. super awesome. So, so yeah, that's Boston's rule. So that that would have been like um, my senior by my senior year. I was kind of like my last. Uh, well, no, okay, so yeah, I started playing in bands with those punk kids, but after after my senior year, I kind of didn't have to like pretend to be tough anymore, um, and kind of started getting back into. Uh, I guess indie rock shit and um but my songwriting was still kind of rudiment like I wasn't very good super good musician or a good songwriter so like I guess the songs I were writing were trying to be indie rock but still using a lot of like um things I learned from Op Ivy songs and shit uh but yeah I, I guess hanging out with my friend Chad um who I like oh Jesus Christ I'm so I got so ahead of myself um but Anyway, the, the ska punk band I was in broke up. And then I started a band with my friend Chad, um, who would later go on to be in a band called DNF. And then he was in, um, he started the band Condition. Do you know that? Oh, band? yeah. 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 So he, he like, he kind of like kept me into punk because I, I started a band with him because he was like one of the only people I, I could find that was like really into being in a band and actually wanted to do it and was like serious about it and like had like a goal of like, we're going to tour. And, um, so I kind of, uh, he kept me into punk and, and got me into, um, some more shit, you know, open eyes to like more and more bands. What, um, it, at, so like what kind of bands were, were you guys going to see at that time? Like what were some of like the local bands or. Hmm. I guess. I don't, what was good. There wasn't a lot going on, honestly, for like in southern california at that time like there was some hardcore stuff like there's a band called miracle mile and uh i don't know if you have final fight yeah I remember. it final was fight. kind of it, yeah, yeah it, it, it wasn't really my thing um so yeah we were just on a kind of a weird island and just doing doing our thing um would you play shows at that time yeah we played a ton of shows um they were like just house shows in the suburbs and um fuck man who did we play with uh we played with Sam from Trash Talks band. He was in he was in a ska band called the Shenanigans. Um <laughs> and we played with like just shit like that. Like they, they were like a ska band with like breakdowns. You know what I mean? It was yeah, like yeah. it was a it was a trippy thing. But it <laughs> and we were kind of like that too. Like we had like weird kind of like reggae parts, but then we would have like blast beats so kind of like it was fucking weird. Um <laughs> just trying to trying to like blend too many things have you ever heard real reggae from japan no they're like a, a hardcore uh band with reggae breakdowns oh crazy they're they're wild they're super awesome they've been around for i think they may even still be around because like i went to japan a few years ago and they were playing an all-day festival but i didn't didn't get there in time to see them but i think that's i saw amazing. them outside i was like oh shit i think that's real reggae <laughs> but uh they're so sick it's just so weird to hear it's like very jarring like yeah. every song is very jarring yeah so was our music i don't know what it was about that time where the kids just wanted to like 
know, like I was into that band Big D and the Kids Table, and they, they did a split with like Mel Banana, and they like the, the Big D song, yeah, split with Mel Banana, and the Big D song is a ministry cover. So it was like oh, it was just it was like showing to me it's like yeah, like there's no boundaries, like you can just do everything. But then like you know this is when we're like 18 or 19, so I think soon after that we started to kind of get some taste and stop trying to like. And then <laughs> you need chat. a couple boundaries, like not yeah, all boundaries, oh, just a God, few, right? But yeah, through like I guess I got into like Mel Banana through that, and then got into like um, maybe like The Locust, and then Charles Bronson, and then fucking you know, Spaz, and then all that. I kind of went down that rabbit hole for a, a little bit, but at the same time was also into like a lot of a lot of other stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, Chad, kind of the guitar player who I wrote the songs with, kind of went off and did um, like this power. He had a power balance band called Duke Nukem Forever. And then later did like condition and, and a bunch of other bands. And um I mean me and the bass player went kind of more like a jawbreakery kind of route and did um Joyce Manor. Did you uh did you ever go up to the smell for shows? Oh yeah. Oh dude, oh my god, that's a whole other thing. So there was this dude that worked at a record store and in, in uh Redondo Beach, and his name's Freddie. And I I've I've known him since I was like just from he worked at the record store since I was like 13 or 14. And um, he did two bands. He did a band called This Song is a Mess, but so am I. And he did a band called Former Ghosts with um, Jamie from Shushu. Okay. And um, he was, yeah, into like a, a lot of it. He liked, he liked like punk and hardcore, but he also liked like Skinny Puppy and Throbbing Gristle and that type of stuff. And he would play at The Smell. So I would go see like him play at The Smell. And that, that got me into a lot of stuff like, this got this band bar like let's do brendan fowler and um go to see mika miko and and that's what i mean by like when i was getting into power violence i was also like into like going to see like wives and no age and um shit like that yeah smell stuff for sure were you at that infamous drop dead show no, the smell no I, I yeah i remember i remember it, but i, I wasn't there no. okay it seems like that show was a real dividing line in in kind of like the trajectory of that place where that's when it it stopped being more associated with that kind of scene and just yeah started, yeah it became its own thing right yeah I, I don't remember there being too many like just straight up punk shows there like occasionally but yeah for the most part it was more like um noise and like industrial leaning bands like this band babyland would play all the time i saw babyland like a shitload of times um yeah so where would Joyce Manor play? I guess you wouldn't play the smell, right? When you guys were first, we, we did we did play the smell, but that would have been a little later. Like we played there with Touche Amore, and we played there with Japanther. Mm -hmm. um, but like in the early days of Joyce Manor, there was a house in Long Beach called the Hickey Underworld. At the, a couple of my friends lived at, and we pretty much exclusively played there. Like. We played a couple other spots, but we were just kind of the house band there. Like when um, touring bands would come through, like off of their heads, played there, and like Comadre, and I can't I can't remember the name of the fucking band. Um, whatever, a bunch of like a, a handful of touring bands came through. Loma Prieta played and stuff. So we played with like just kind of all those bands, and I can't stress to you how much in two thousand eight nobody was playing pop punk like. It was not, it had not really had any kind of resurgence. Like emo tinged pop punk was just like not fucking cool at that time. Um, this is kind of the beginning of like 
like burger record stuff kind of starting to happen and um a lot of people seem to be playing screamo um but yeah like it was just kind of us and the ergs mm-hmm. doing i mean there was other there was other bands there was like chinese telephones and shit but like i feel like the kind of pop punk that we were doing at the time was like really really uncool and um we had some people that were that were into it but for the most part people kind of looked at us like we were crazy yeah there's a really kind of like interesting time where you know like everyone was like yeah doing like a screamo thing or like a hardcore thing or a power violence thing it was like yeah it, everyone was taking it super seriously it was, it was definitely ceremony trash talk days and, and I, I really liked both I, I mean i still like both those bands but um i was super into that too but i just fucking love pop punk like i, re- yeah. I really really love it and and uh yeah i just i i just had a couple of these pop punk songs and you know what it was that house to every fucking band they did a lot of noise shows there was one guy that lived there that was into that type of shit and so it would just be like like noise shows and the show would be so fucking boring and he couldn't talk he had to be like respectful and it was fucking so boring the whole time and then after the show ended there would be a big party and it'd be really fun so as soon as the fucking music stopped it got yeah. fun and we put on we'd like actually put on good music and like someone would put on a fucking saves the day album and everyone would be singing along all hammered because everyone actually likes that shit and then i was just like i'm gonna start a fucking pop punk band and then we started playing those shows and it, it was really it was really fun but yeah i can remember like out of town bands being like what the fuck is this band like n- nobody was really doing that shit it doesn't it doesn't seem like it now it seems like there's always been like title fight and shit but yeah there was at the like time, a it, at the time it was weird yeah it was like folk punk was lots big. of folk punk dude and like lots of folk punk but it was kind of like the stuff that was coming through there was almost like a little bit freak folk it was like this dude foot ox and splinter cake and it was folk punk for sure but it was like kind of freak folk like it was a uh, a little hmm. a little weird okay um or like quirky you know i guess folk okay. punk is kind of so it wasn't like super oogly it wasn't yeah. like um yeah. It wasn't like political necessarily. It was like very personal and and also kind of like quirky, like I don't know what how to what to just to equate it to. I guess kind of moldy peaches ish or like okay yeah Joanna Newsom or some shit. I don't know. Yeah yeah. So it's like yeah, I, I, it's kind of like because the folk punk definitely had a very particular aesthetic, eventually defined for it, which is I think the the oogly kind of. Well, some Stop. of it's some of it's yeah, kind of more like dun chica dun chica dun yeah, like the like that kind of vibe. But this was not really like that. This was more like um, I don't know, kind of quirky, or more arty, more arty folk punk. Okay. But it's still fucking folk punk. Um, <laughs> more like Paul Barabo. You know Paul Barabo? You know what that is? No, no. I, I thought you said Paul Bear for a second from Sheer Terror, but no, not that. But that's tight. Um, I would love to see yeah. him do folk punk. Yeah, let's see if we can. Let's see. <laughs> It'd be super grizzled sounding. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> he did spoken word one time in Montreal, and it's pretty close. We were playing. We, we were playing the show, a show, so I couldn't make it over there to see it. But my friend went over and said it was like super heavy and stuff. And so Whoa. I was always hoping he'd do another performance of it. But no, I think he was just like, nah one and done you just get up there with an acoustic guitar and you got folk punk baby you got folk punk, exactly. <laughs> um yeah so so that that was kind of that was kind of the landscape at the time uh last time you told me that you guys have a connection to speaking of pop punk one of the forefathers of the pop punk scene the last 
Yes, we practice in Luke Loans. He's a guitar player of the last. We practice in, in his garage. Um, and we have the whole time. Chase, our guitar player, went to middle school with his kid. And um, Luke, when Luke found out that his son's friend was playing in bands, he was like, hey, if you guys ever need a place to practice, like I have a um, little like jam room in the garage. It's all soundproofed and stuff. So um, he's been letting Chase practice there literally since he was in middle school. So Chase just turned 30 the other day. So it's like fucking almost 20 years or some shit. Wow, so, that's awesome. Isn't that amazing? It's fucking amazing. So we've written like every uh, every song we've ever written in the guitar player of the last. It's not one of the Nolte brothers. It's um, it's like a dude who, he actually played in the band during like the Bill Stevenson era. Um, and uh, yeah, it's fucking crazy. It was well, re- really, really funny when we toured with the Descendants. Um, our bass player Matt was like, "There's like a little little spiral staircase you go up to to get to the stage," and he was like going to go up there and watch them play side stage, but they were they were at side stage waiting to go on. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, "Oh shit!" So he's like, "All right, I don't want to interrupt them," and he like overheard them talking, and Bill just says to the other guys, "He's like, did you know that Joyce Manor practice in Luke Lone's garage? Isn't that fucking weird?" <laughs> And then they went and played. That was like what they, that's what they were talking about. Like before they went and played it. And it is fucking weird, man. It's, it's cool though. Well, uh, since you were last on, I researched him and he also, I think played in waves of grain too. Oh, Luke did. Yeah. Which I think he, is the never told me about that. I think it's from like oh. eight, 85. I think they put it on LP. Oh, uh, crazy. And uh, yeah, like I, I haven't been able to track it down to hear it, but uh, I'm very, very interested. Yeah, he toured with them a bunch and stuff. He's always, he's always asking me about like, is this club still around you guys ever play this club and yeah he must he must have greg ginn stories too for being on sst yeah yeah uh, he, you know he doesn't really talk about he's not one of those guys who's like let me tell you about the olden days like yeah he yeah he doesn't he, he's just generous he's just like a really generous guy he, he's he's not really in music anymore he has like a um some kind of computer job and uh super nice house in torrance and just super generous with his garage because and I think he likes that. that. That part makes him feel kind of connected to the music still. And he's just a really generous person. And honestly, it's like, uh, it's made being in the band so much easier to have a, just a place, especially in the early days, man. Like it was so hard to, um, you know, get, have a place to practice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And it's also like a, a continuation though of, of Torrance pop punk. Yeah, totally dude. I mean, growing up, like, um, down the street, I, I grew up in this town called Lamita, which is actually where the descendants lived. They all like lived together in Lamita. And um, there's a Mexican restaurant called Alfredo's, and they reference that in an all song. But on the wall, there was all kinds of like descendants newspaper clippings. And I remember seeing that from like being like eight years old and just being like, whoa, like who are, th- who are these guys? And just soaking that up. And yeah, it, it, was, it was really amazing when they asked us to go on tour with them, you know. Because I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. Like, I'm not, they're not like, I'm not like a crazy mega fan. Our bass player is like, that's his, his first tattoo is a descendant tattoo. And he's like a mega, mega fan. But yeah, it's just such a, um, it's been in my psyche since like a like childhood, you know? And I, I do like descendants a lot. Yeah. No. And I think it's, it's interesting when you look at California, how, you know, like you've got, like a, a restaurant that has descendants clippings on the wall. Like it feels like that history is a lot closer at hand to like kind of pick up on. Like obviously 
you know, there's some stuff that's a lot more mainstream. It's played on the radio, but at the same time, like the fact that you can kind of see these things, you're like living down the street from where the descendants used to live. Like it's, 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 yeah. it's always been so, uh, I've been always very envious of that. But you know, what's weird. Like really think about it. Like think about the population of California. Like how many fucking people are from California? Like there are not that many bands from the, the like South Bay or from like that area. Like, um, I guess there's like some like bands from LA, but like not really. Like especially the part of LA that we're from is really culturally devoid. Um, so like you have like that like you know Descendants, Black Flag, Minutemen, and all that type of shit. But really, for the amount of people that are there, like there should be more bands. So yeah, I think is there anything from like that shit to like Joyce Manor? Like not really. Like can you name like like I, I'm sure there is because like there's the, there's all that kind of like uh but like it it does come up that there's a certain point in los angeles where shit just got so heavy and so violent that the scene just changes right like oh with like the like uh suicidal gangs and shit yeah like in that and like um circle uh like mm-hmm. all the all the all the different crews all the gang shit gang yeah. stuff got too heavy and just shows in general got pretty violent and i think also people just change what they were into and so because of that you get the rise of um you know like this stuff like l7 kind of comes out of later on like that whole scene or yeah yeah you know there's there's that sort of stuff but like it feels like you know brad logan talked about when he was on the show that there was a certain point where it just kind of dried up in la in terms of like punk stuff a little bit it definitely felt like that when we were growing up like there was a great kind of like a smell adjacent scene when i was in high school of like these really good bands called like La Joshua, Rock Ogle Fantasy, and my friend um, Freddie doing like this song is a mess, which was kind of more like industrial um, type stuff. But uh, yeah, La Joshua and Rock Ogle Fantasy were fucking awesome. But but yeah, they didn't they didn't really go on to like you know become no- notable or anything. But uh, yeah, there, there's not a ton of shit that actually makes it out of that place. I don't know. I don't know why yeah I, I don't know why either it's very it's interesting because there is so much of it a generation before you know yeah, like there totally. is so much you know punk and just music like reading that bad religion book it's just they, they talk about the fact that there's all these studios that are there just from the 70s and how the fact there's all this great gear mm-hmm. kind of floating around so all these bands had access to this stuff yeah um, totally it, and and you know but yeah like i guess it just kind of oh fyp there's fyp yeah of course yeah absolutely classic uh fyp are from torrance and uh yeah i guess recess records there's a couple other bands that are from that area too that were on recess right yeah yeah but a lot of them some of them are from orange county um but yeah there's a couple but a lot of recess stuff was like just not necessarily local it would have been like bands that todd knew from tour yeah like propaganda i spy split or like like the bananas from Sacramento, or that would be a little later. But yeah, like the first way era of recess, I, I don't know too much about like the early shit. Have you ever heard that propaganda eyes yeah. split? Yeah, totally. That's like awesome. one. Of, that's like one of the best Canadian records ever. Yeah, like that from that Torrance. Sh- guy, guy in Torrance put it out. I know. Here we go. This is the, the Torrance Canada connection. Yeah, love it. Reaching across the divide, you know that. Well, that's a cool thing. That's what. That's the best thing about punk is the fact that you do have. And now it, it it's changed because I think everyone's sort of like part of decentralized scenes a little bit more, but punk was like the first place that you really have 
decentralized scenes with equal exchanges of information, right? Like it wasn't necessarily like cultural edicts being shipped out from certain areas. Like you had great bands from Canada being put out by labels in California and same way you have yeah. bands and, you know, uh, from Scandinavia being put out in Japan, you know, it just feels yeah, like totally. there's like a global connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, did you guys ever go to Japan? One time. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. It's the best. It was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's the dream. And it's amazing when you go there and you realize how big high standard is. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. There. Yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I, I was kind of, I think they had just put out a record when, when we were over there and I was like, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, I was hoping there would be high standard shit everywhere. And then there was, you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I hope I see like a high standard poster at the record store or something. And then there was like high standard shit everywhere. And I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, they're kind of, I guess they, they're, it's like Blink-182 or Sum 41 in Canada or like, yeah. they're that band that during the era exploded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that, was that on Fat over there? I think it might've been on a different label over there, huh? I think it's on their own label. I think it's Toy, Toy Box. I want to, it's not Toy yeah. Box Records, but it's like the same label that I think put out some Pusshead stuff. Oh, okay. At, at a different point too. Damn. Um, and they actually do have records on like HG Fact. Like they have like definitely connections to, you know, the the heavier burning spirit style hardcore. Yeah, yeah, too. totally. Um it's yeah, but it's so funny when you go there and you're like, "Oh shit, yeah, this is this is everywhere." Every time we go over there, we'd ask the people from the label or the people from the touring company, "Joni, like, you know, punk bands, hardcore bands throwing out old Japanese bands and they're like, no, no, until you get to high yeah. standard, then it's like, oh yeah, definitely high standard. I know high yeah. standard. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so uh this has been awesome. And anytime you want to come back on here, Barry, and do this again, you know the door is always open. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that was a blast. Really fun chatting with you. Thank you, Barry, for coming back on the show. And Barry will be back for a uh, part two three you know another part at some point in the near future because we got we got more to talk about you know and, and i feel it's always the energy so different when you have to re-record it so you know barry and i i think have a, a fresh episode in us still but we will get to that in the future speaking of future coming up in uh like a few short days we have a special episode that uh it's brief the the sound quality might not be up to to some people's uh standards uh you know it but my god is it in keeping with this band's uh, live album legacy from the band the replacements the legend tommy stinson will be here on turned at a punk and this is a fun little short episode but i'm very excited for you to hear it that will be coming up once again in a few short days remember as always black lives matter the lives of indigenous peoples matter we need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths. And just, you know, like the, the, these things aren't political issues. These are just basic human rights issue. What someone chooses to do with their reproductive system in their body, that's not a political issue. That's their choice. That's a human rights issue. There are political conversations. We can have political conversations. They, they're important to have. But these aren't political issues. These are, are something bigger than that. So get involved. You know, if there's organizations that are doing work in an area that you feel 
work needs to be done in, if there's people out there that are calling for bodies to be at a protest, uh, you know, get involved. You're not going to regret it. You're not going to look back on things that you've done to help other people and be like, fuck, I wish I didn't do that. You know, maybe, maybe you did something really fun, but none of these things that we're talking about. <laughs> Probably there's definitely situations I'm sure someone could throw at me that where you would regret it, but not none of the shit we're talking about. Speaking of not regretting things, sign your organ donor cards because you don't want to be dead and be like, fuck, I should have signed that thing. I could have given these organs to someone that needed them. You probably won't be thinking that because by the time you're dead, you can't. But someone could be living with those organs if you had signed that card. Uh, go out there and make your own culture because anyone can do this shit. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a start a TV show, start a, a, a digital platform. Just draw a picture, whatever. It makes you feel a little bit better when you do stuff like that. And put yourself in the world. Put yourself out in the world. There we go. Uh, and I think that's it. Uh, stay safe. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>